Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and, and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning, Rest Church. Good morning. Let me ask you a question. What's the craziest place you've ever eaten before? Um, maybe you've been to like a foreign country uh, and you've eaten somewhere crazy. You've eaten some chocolate covered cockroaches or, you know, some, something like that. Um, I'll tell you one of the craziest places that uh, I, I've eaten, and I've racked my brain about this for a while. Uh, in my travels, I've eaten a ra- bunch of random different places. I've eaten in random different places. I've, you know, had multiple meals at 30,000 plus feet in the air. But one particular place that um, is close to the hotel that I typically stay at when I'm at my plant in Michigan, uh, it's in Novi. Uh, Michigan, and there is a large Japanese influence in the Novi, Michigan area. It's where the head of Toyota's technical training center is, and so there's a ton of Japanese influence there. And my buddy one day said to me, he goes, hey, let's go eat at this uh, restaurant, and I'm not even going to try to name it, but let's uh, go eat at this restaurant. And so we walk in, and just so that you know, my my buddy, he is um, uh, Indian, uh, from India, and uh, so he's Asian, and we walk in, and um, I'm the only white guy in the place, it, which isn't that big of a deal, but as we walk up to where we're going to order the food, there is no English, zero, zilch, and I guess because enough whiteies go in there, um, that, was, that was meant to make you laugh, thank you, Josh, um, <laughs> They have, like, Polaroid pictures, I kid you not, of mills. Like, Polaroid pictures. And so, you walk up to what looks like a million postcards, like, spread across this wall, and you just look, because everything is in Japanese other than the photo. And so, you figure out what you want, and you walk up to the place, and you hand the elderly Japanese lady a photo and you just nod your head that you're like hey that's that's what I want um it was phenomenal like phenomenal and it it felt abstract right like I've had Japanese food many times I've had Japanese food prepared by folks from Japan it didn't that part didn't feel you know abstract or unfamiliar, but the part that felt unfamiliar was while I was setting in my country, 
while I was sitting in a very suburban area of the Detroit Metroplex, I was in a different place altogether. I was in a different culture. I was around everyone who spoke Japanese other than me and my Indian buddy. But sometimes, you know, we find ourselves in these random situations where we are surrounded by people who might look a little bit different. And as we have been studying in Psalm 23 for the last four weeks, our church has kind of dug deeply into this. And what we've seen is the psalm portrays um, a, a very unique relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And what we find is David calls us, much like other places in the scriptures do, sheep. He essentially affirms the fact that we're sheep. And if you've been with us by calling um, human sheep, he's not, he's not knocking us. He's not putting us down. He's just calling it like it is. Because the reality is, is that like sheep, they're, they have poor balance. They have terrible eyesight. Um, they're really bad at sleeping. They need the right conditions to sleep. They're not fast. They're not nimble. They typically do not make the best decisions. And another fun fact is uh, gnats will crawl up their nose and lay eggs that then will, you know, hatch and have gnat babies. However funny, disgusting, or realistic that that image might be to you, the main premise of Psalm 23 is not the sheep and their plight. You know, Grandma's cross-stitch that says, the Lord is my shepherd, was all about us as the sheep. But the reality is, is what we find when we dig into Psalm 23 is it is about the shepherd, his leading, his prompting, his provision, his goodness. Make no mistake, you don't have a shepherd without the sheep. But the whole six verses, everything about the six verses is the sheep's perspective based relative to where the shepherd is at. And so as we approach this, we have wrestled with this idea of walking the shepherd's path. Psalm 23 presents us four particular images. Four images that really resonate with us as Christ followers, as modern day believers. Verse 2, he paints the picture of the green pasture with quiet or still water. That there's a place for us to have rest and for us to have provision. Verse 3, we see this unique thing where he says passive righteousness. And then verse 4, we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. And then verse 5, the table prepared in the presence of our enemies. Each representing seasons and situations that we have experienced in life as sheep. For example, verse 2, the green pasture is still waters. It represents the days of God's provision when our belly is full and the sun is shining. How many of you have experienced a day like that? I have. Yeah, God's goodness and grace has been on me. Then there's verse 3. Life with God is a winding road, right? Then I get a little bit closer. I had to say it. I had to. 
But it's a, line, it's a winding road because what we saw is in the Hebrew, it's presenting us this picture of God takes us on this winding road, this roundabout journey that leads us to exactly where he wants us, right? We want to think of God's plan and God's provision as this linear path to success. But if you've been walking with God for more than five seconds, what do you know? It doesn't operate like that, right? It doesn't operate like that. Um, But then we come to verse 4. We find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. It represents seasons of loss and change. Seasons of turmoil in our lives. Seasons of unrest. Unknowing what is coming around the next corner. And lastly, we come to today in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Let's be honest. If we were David writing verse 5, we probably would have approached our narrative, if we got to choose the words that went into it, a little bit differently, right? Can I get an amen? More than likely, you would probably write it or you would frame it something like this. You prepare a table before me where it's just you and me. We wouldn't choose, hey, dudes who want to kill me all around me. People who want to spit on me just hanging out. We wouldn't choose that, right? No, no, no. We, our response would be, forget our enemies. Let them be blown to smithereens. Lift me out of the chaos, the pressure, the darkness, the grief, the sickness. Just take me and put me in your presence. Yet God's response to something like that, to the thought of that is, I can't hit the eject button for you. I can't eject you out of this broken world. However, what I can tell you is I can promise you this, that I will be with you in the thick of it all. I will set a table before you. I will anoint your head with oil. Despite the turmoil at every turn, I will make your cup overflow. It's a remarkable image. Placing a table in the midst of the enemies, symbolizing his divine provision abundance amidst our adversity. So we have to ask this question today. We have to, we have to wrestle with this idea. What does the table mean? What does the table of Psalm 23 symbolize? Or, or what is this? What is David trying to teach us from his perspective as a shepherd? David, a shepherd, well acquainted with tending to the sheep, he paints us this picture, and what is he saying? It is this, and I believe firmly it is this. The good shepherd offers rest, provision, and protection in the middle of life's wars. How many of you can say amen to that? The good shepherd. Man, there is so much truth to this. Provides us rest. Let just provides us rest in the middle of life's wars. He makes a place where we can be renewed, where we can be regenerated, reinvigorated. 
Not just that, but in the table with the good shepherd, we can find the provision. We can find substance. We can find his goodness and mercy there. We can find his protection because where the good shepherd is when we are coupled with the good shepherd when we are walking with Jesus the scriptures tell us that no one can come against God's elect and so the shepherd offers us rest provision and protection in the middle of our wars in the middle of our enemies David a man well acquainted with turmoil and living a life on the run highlights the, the abundance in the presence of the shepherd in verse 5. All the while there is an enemy on every side. A few months back, as you've heard me say a couple times, I was in a dark place. In a really dark place. And, and really wrestling with my calling. And as I'm wrestling with my calling, I come across this sermon by a pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. His name's Louis Giglio. And, and the sermon was about being at the table. It's called, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And as I wrestled with it, it brought immense conviction to me. It was kind of a catalyst moment for me to begin to launch into, into me right now in this process of remaking who I am. Doing all these very different things because of this one particular illustration. And as I wrestled with it, the pastor team can attest to this, I said I have to share this with the church. I have to demonstrate this for the church because it was so powerful to me. And what's so funny about it is our pastor team has been constantly watching this. Like this week, at least three of the six pastors have said to me, or the seven pastors, three of the seven pastors have said to me, hey, uh, yeah, I'll watch that this week. Yeah, I'll watch that on the way. Uh, John said to me last night when he came to my house, yeah, I'll watch that again on the way coming to your house. Because it's so powerful because it paints the beautiful picture that Psalm 23 tells of the meta-narrative of the gospel. So what is the meta-narrative of the gospel? Everything God does benefits you. It brings goodness to you. It brings grace to you. It brings kindness to you. It is best for you. But ultimately, the result of all of that is it brings Glory to God. You get the good and God gets the glory. We're going to see that at the table this morning. And I hope that this is an image that you never forget. So this morning, this table is prepared by the good shepherd. And you, all of you, especially you, especially you, you're my enemies. 
You are my enemies. I, I don't like you. I mean, you, you have brought all of this uh, craziness to my life. You have insulted me. You have, you have stabbed me in the back in a business deal. You are the spouse that's committed an affair against me. You're the co-worker that talks about me all the time. You're the financial stress and strain that has been put on my family, that has been put on me. You're the job that I have lost. You are the prognosis that I received at the doctor. The prognosis that said death and not life. You are all all of those things surrounding me. You're my enemies. But the beautiful thing about all of that is in the middle of my enemies, the God of the universe walks up to me. He walks up to you. He says, Cody, I prepared a table for you. Cody, I made this just for you. And he, and he walks over. And he pulls out the chair. And he says, have a seat. All of that, right in the middle of all of you. Right in the middle of the context of the pain and the context of the sorrow and the context of the weightiness that you feel in whatever season, whatever things that you're going through, he's asked for you to sit down. If that's not enough, though, if that's not enough, the God of heaven and earth, he doesn't stop there. No, what he actually does is the God of heaven and earth steps down, he comes down, and he pulls out a chair, and he himself sets down. And he sets down with us. Why? Because he loves us. And then, and then, to top it all off, he does something that is so crazy, so profound, and yet so ordinary. That he comes up to us and he says, are you thirsty? Here. Have a little bit of water. And, and he, he pours us the water the substance of life, the provision that he brings. And he, and he sets down with us and he begins to have a conversation with us. How's life? I love you so much. I'm so glad that you came. I'm so glad that you're sitting at the table with me. I've been waiting I've been longing for the day that we could just have this meal together. Man, how good is it that the God of the cosmos, the God Almighty who created the heavens and earth in seven days has prepared a table of His nourishment, of His good gifts 
for us. But not just has He prepared a table for us, it is His work, His handiness, and He has done all of it Himself, and He has not just prepared it, but He has paid the bill so that we could set with Him. That is the narrative that we see here. And, and what, is, what is so good about this is, is that He says to us, you know, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I will provide you all of this. But, but church, you have to let him be your shepherd. You have to let him be your shepherd. You want God's provision. You want God's goodness. You have to be submissive to his will. You have to be submissive to his commands. You have to be submissive to his promptings. And that's a big if. That's a big if because as we know, sheep, while they are docile, while they are prey, they are not prone to be led. And so the question is, is would you sit at the table? And the great thing is, is, man, we get to have a conversation with our God. You know, we just we get to sit back, you know, and just have the goodness of God's gifts. I mean, we get to talk to him. Thank you, God. Did you do all this for me? Really? Carbs, you know I don't need these, but I'll do it anyways. Cake. Mm -hmm. I want to put my finger in it, but I don't know I want a whole piece. Yes, Lord, I love you. God, I'm, I'm trying. Lord, I need your help. I really need your help. Um, I'm stressed. I feel like walls are closing in on me. Uh, I know that you can do it. Mm. Can I have some of that, Lord? Mm. Raspberry, yeah. Thank you, God. Man, you're, you're so faithful. You're so good. This is the picture that the Scriptures paint to us for what our walk with Christ should look like. See, right now, some of us feel so uncomfortable with this picture of setting at the table, with this picture of receiving God's goodness, receiving God's provision, because we are unaccustomed at setting at the table and having a conversation with the king. Now, if we're being honest, this is more what our relationship with the king looks like. Oh, oh, this is incredible. Oh, but I, I don't have much time, God. Um, I, I got to go. I'm so sorry. I, I, I wish I would have known. Um, yeah, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of time. Um, but, but thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, well, before I go, before I go, I got I to get this. I got to get this in here. All right, all right. All right, you good? You sure you're good? All right, here we go. (laughs) 
Oh, my Bible's not in the right spot. Yeah, get that right there. There we go, there we go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we get the heavenly filter on. Yeah, 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 yeah. But really, I'm, I'm so sorry. I promise, you know, I'll be back. Hold on, let me, let me post this on the gram. Uh, brunch with the king of the universe. I'm going to tag you, at almighty, at the almighty. But once again, oh, thank you. You're the best every time. Man, you just you take care of me. I'm going to get one of these. I'm going to get one of these. Um, I'm going to just have a blueberry for the go. Love you, Lord. I'll catch you. Sorry. I got a jet. Promise I will be back. Isn't that what our relationship with God looks like? The king of the universe wants to sit down with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to have a conversation with you. But what we're more prone to do than doing that is to go into our, into, into our life, into our relationships and go, Carl, did you see that post? Did you see that post? I had brunch with the king. I mean, God was there. Did you see my Bible? My Bible. Yeah, I had, it, I had it open to the verse that was talking about this. Yeah. Did you see, did you see that verse? Did you, did you see my post? I mean, it was incredible. I was there. I got to see him. Because it's all the time we're willing to dedicate. That's all the time we're willing to set aside for the king. How many of you would say, amen, that's me? We're invited to the table, church. We're invited to the table no matter what enemy surrounds us, no matter what calamity may befall us. We're invited to the table and his good gifts, his good pleasure is there. The scriptures say for us to taste and see that he is good. He is good. But that's not just the only thing that we battle. That's not the only complication that we find. The other complication that we find is much like, have you ever been out on a date before? And as you're on a date, man, you are just, holy smokes, you know, into your boo or your woman. I mean, when I'm out with Molly, um, I'm all into her, which I'm all into her all the time. But anyways, you know, you can be in a great conversation, just talking, hanging out, laughing, giggling, you know, um, doing fun couple stuff. And then all of a sudden, across the restaurant, you make eye contact with that crazy aunt, uncle, or aunt. You know the one I'm talking about? The one that does not know personal space? The one who cannot read the room? Like, you make eye contact, you look over and you're like, oh, Lord, 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 please help me. Please don't let them see that that was me. Please don't let them. And then your, your, your other half is like, your boyfriend, your girlfriend is like, um, they're coming. They're coming. 
And, and you're just like, put your head down, just pretend like it's not us, and oh, they know it's us. Like, does anybody have any family like that? No, no, I guess I, guess I come from a heathen clan. But then, they don't just like roll up to the table and say, oh, funny, we should see you here. It's like loud, obnoxious, we're here for the party, and then they scoot into the booth, they pull up a chair, and they sit at the table. You guys know what I'm talking about? The truth is, that's how fast that the enemy can get at our table, too. See, you might think today, no, 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 no. There is no way that the enemy is so bold, he is so audacious, that he would come set at the same table as God Almighty. Let me tell you what. He is that bold. Because he, he, he not only does that to us, he showed up to the Son of God in the wilderness and tried to pull up a chair at his table. He did it at the Garden of Eden. When he came into Eve, he pulled up a chair at her table, he sat down, he spoke to her, and it worked. If the enemy will come at the Son of God, don't make a mistake that he won't come at you for the table between you and the king. See, but what you have to understand, what you have to realize about this, this particular enemy that we face is that, you know, just as fast as we see it, he's rolling up. He's sitting down. And he doesn't show up the way that you think he would show up. He doesn't show up very overtly. He doesn't show up, you know, with his, with his tail showing and his teeth out. No, he shows up and he sits down. He's like, hey, what's up? Mind if I, mind if I have some of this? Mm. Yeah. Mm. And he asks us that question. That question we all desire to be asked. How's life? Mm. Yeah. How's home? She's still giving you problems? Yeah. Tell me about it. I don't see how you do it, man. Like... If I was you, I would be gone because she's crazy. Like, bro, you're strong, but gosh, that's a lot. You know her mother hates you too, right? Like, every time they're together, man, all they do is talk about you. He smells, he doesn't do enough. Why don't he be a real man? Do this, do that. You know, they think you're a terrible dad, too. You hear the things they say about you. The enemy shows up at our table. And when he shows up, he doesn't say the things that we think we should say. He doesn't, you know, reach over and grab this pretzel stick and say, I'm going to shove this pretzel stick down your throat and I'm going to choke you to death. That's not the enemy we face. That's not the adversary that we face. No, the adversary that we face is too smart. He's too cunning to come at us that aggressively. He comes at us slowly. He comes at us in the weak places that we are already fighting in our minds. 
He tells us the things that we know about ourselves and he begins to twist and deceive those things. He creates a new narrative inside of our hearts that causes us to begin to doubt the character of God. To begin to doubt the identity that we have in Christ. To begin to doubt the salvation, the power, the forgiveness, the provision that He provides. That's what He does. Does He do it in the first 15 minutes? Does He do it right away? No, that is not the enemy that you face. But no, make, make no mistake about it. The enemy that we face, just like God says, just like Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, he comes for one reason. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Everything at this table, the good shepherd has prepared for you. In the place of your enemies, in the place of your problems, he wants to take those away. He wants to tell you that you don't belong at the table. He wants to bring shame upon shame upon shame upon you to say, hey, you shouldn't go there. You shouldn't be here. I mean, you're not walking with God enough to sit at the table with him. Don't you know he requires of you to be perfect in every way? Don't you know you can't drink of his goodness you can't taste and see because of all the dumb things you've did whose language am I speaking because chances are I'm reading the sheet music to your life there's some of you, man, you, you woke up this morning and you were faced with immense doubt. I'm not sure I should even go to church. You know, those people, they're walking with God, but I'm not sure I'm good enough. I haven't done enough for God. I'm questioning whether I should do it. I'm questioning whether I even believe that. It's because he is speaking lies upon your life. And they're not big swords. They're small, little over and over and over. This particular analogy speaks to us so deeply because it is us. Because it is our heart. Maybe you're asking yourself this morning, how do I know if the enemy is at my table? How would I recognize if the enemy has brought another chair up for a table for two and is beginning to speak lies into my life? Well, this morning I want to cover a few lies. I want to, I want to talk about a few things that are common that the enemy says to people. So lie number one to know if the enemy is at your table is if it's better at the other table. There's somebody in here more than likely that showed up today and you're about ready to parachute completely out of everything in your life. You're ready to leave your spouse. You're ready to leave your fiance. Uh, you're, you're ready to leave behind your kids and their problems. And it's because you have been sold this lie that it's going to be better with them than it is currently. That your life can be better from another table. That God's provision that he has given to you in this season is insufficient. If you're hearing that, I want to tell you the enemy is at your 
table. Make no mistake about it, he's pulled up a chair and he is at your table. Or, or maybe, maybe you are sitting at your table and you're looking over at someone else's table and you're going, man, if I just had a better job. If I was just doing better or doing more, I might be able to attract a spouse. I might be able to, you know, make my family be happy with me for once. They might see me and my worth because I would be worth loving at that point. Because I would have the job that they want me to have. We would have the money that we want to have. And I want to tell you, if that's you, the enemy is at your table. some of you women you're saying if we just had a better house if we just had better vehicles we'd be better at that table I want to tell you God takes us in roundabout ways to ultimately lead us to his will and so if you're listening to those lies the enemy is at your table. Lie number two is that you're not enough. Man, there's some of you, you are wrestling immensely with this every day. You don't come from the right family. You didn't grow up at the right side of town. You, you didn't have the right education. Your body doesn't look right. You're not smart enough to get the job. You're not strong enough to carry the weight of the family. You don't have enough going on. And, and so all day long, every day, you are, you are wrestling. You are letting yourself be beaten down by this idea, by this concept that you are not enough, that you'll never amount to anything, that the, the, the lie that was told to you maybe in kindergarten or the lie that was told to you by your parents, you're nothing, you'll never amount to anything. I want to tell you that narrative is from the enemy and he has slipped up to your table because God has made you who he has made you and you are perfect in his eyes. You have been made wonderfully and fearfully by the creator God. No matter what ailment befalls you, you are good in his sight. So don't let the enemy speak that lie over you because it is a generational lie because what will happen is you will let that live in your heart and you'll start to speak it to your kids. You'll start to speak it to people who are around you. And so in Jesus' name, rebuke that lie. Rebuke that lie. Lie number three. The lie that you're not going to make it. In this season of our country, in the midst of this economy, in the midst of all the sickness, all these various different things, we hear this idea, this concept that you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it through this relational tension that is your marriage. You're not going to make it through the financial stress that your family is under. You're not going to make it through this prognosis of sickness that has been handed to you by the doctor. And, and, and how many of us, man, you know, we, we, we subscribe to that sometimes. Like, like we, we, hear, we hear people ask us, man, how are you doing? 
And it's so subtle that, that our response is this. I don't know, man. How you doing? I don't know, man. The truth is, is the Son of Man has never once ever uttered from heaven to anyone, I don't know, man. The Son of Man doesn't speak to us when we're sitting at the table and, we, and He asks us, hey God, or, how are you doing? He, he hasn't ever said to us, I don't know, man, because He's never at the control room in heaven going, I don't know, man. I don't know what we're going to do. There is never panic in His eyes. There is never panic in the plan that He has for us. He's not saying to us, I don't know, man. And so you in this season right now, you, 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 you have this situation on your life. You have many different things coming at you and people are saying, how are you doing? And your, your common response is, I don't know, man. I want to tell you to kick the enemy off your table because that's not coming from the king. He's not telling you, I don't know, man. He says, I have plans for you, man. He says, nobody messes with my people because I have the rod. I have the staff. I will protect you. No weapon formed against me will prosper. So while I might not see the future, while I might not see the circumstances that are before me, I have a king who I know that if I let him be my shepherd, he'll lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will come out the other side because he is going with me through the valley. So I don't have to say I don't know, man. I know, man, because my God, my shepherd, will take me. He will deliver me. He will lead me to the place of the promised land. Make no mistake about it. So if you're saying, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure if our family's going to make it. The enemy... Pull the seat up to your table. And he has begun to speak lies that are against the promises of God. Lie number four. You are not wanted. Man. There's some of you in this room right now. You are immensely struggling with this idea that you hear this narrative in your head that nobody wants you. And maybe it stems from the fact that you were abandoned as a kid. That your, that your mom or dad, they, they left you and they left you all alone and, and you, are, you are struggling with that. And you might be an adult today and you might say, I don't understand, but I still feel like I, I don't have a home, I don't have a people. Or, or maybe, maybe you're a single person here today and, and you are constantly hearing this lie from the enemy that you are not wanted, that you are not good enough, therefore you're not wanted. 
If you have heard that lie spoken to you as a kid previously, or you're currently hearing it in this season, I I want you to hear the truth of God. I want you to hear the truth from the Word of God. Here's what the truth of God says. It says, God chose you before the foundations of the earth. That God stepped down from creation into earth and took up the cross for you. A rescue mission from heaven for you. He chose you. You are wanted because you have been chosen. No matter what anyone says, no matter how dumb your mother or father was, no matter how dumb was the spouse that left you, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter if you're single or you are happily married with 75 kids and you're like, I connect with none of them. God chose you. You have a home. You have a family. And man, He has a table for you. So don't submit to the lie of the enemy and hear the lie of your... No one wants you. Let me tell you how that this particular lie can later on manifest for some of you. You, you let this lie manifest for some of you who change jobs every, you know, like year, every six months. And you're like, well, no one liked me. They didn't like me. They were talking bad about me all the time. And, and chances are you don't think your in-laws like you. You're not sure if your parents even like you. And you're constantly like in this place of they don't like me, they don't like me, they don't like me. And, and you constantly change. You change your church, you change your job, you change everything. You're not even sure that your underwear likes you. I want to tell you that's a lie. <clears throat> that's a lie from the enemy. And you need to sort it out. You need to kick him out of your table. You don't need a new job. You don't need a new family. You don't need a new spouse. You don't need new, 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 new. The problem isn't there. The problem is you're letting the sheep um, in the shame of the enemy heap it on top of you to where you believe you don't have a home, you don't have a place, and there's no one who likes you. You're not good enough. You will never amount to anything, and no one wants you. I'm going to tell you, man, you need to speak against the enemy. Get away from me Satan get behind me Satan get away from my table it's time between me and the king in every lie we face we need somebody to come up to us and smack us in the head sometimes sometimes we don't see the things that are just right in front of us like you can't see the forest because of the trees man And sometimes we need somebody to just walk up to us and say, man, you're not an orphan. You are not alone. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High. He has chose you. He has set before you a bountiful feast. He didn't take you through a drive through window and say, let me get you a value meal. He spent time and intentionality to make it ready for you to meet your need in that season. 
And so sometimes, man, we just need a moment in our lives to where we can be slapped in the head and we can have dialogue because the problem is, is the whole time we're sitting here and the enemy's sitting there and we're letting him sit here at the table. We're having a conversation with a killer. I want you to think about that. We're having a conversation with a killer. His whole purpose is to twist and deceive us and to lead us to a place of despair. So man, number one, you got to sit down at the table. Like, I don't know if you're giving me freedom to do this or not, and I don't care. I'm going to rebuke you if you are not spending time at the table. If you don't have a carved out place in your life, a space in your schedule, it's not going to happen by accident. Success does not happen by accident. You don't sit at the table with the king of kings by accident. You sit at the table with intentionality. And let me tell you, this idea of I can do fast food, Jesus, what it's going to do, because what it did to me, is I, find my, I found myself starving as I was wondering. Because I kept just trying to check in at the table, and I was just like, I was, I was reading the scriptures, but I wasn't sitting at the table. As I was moving throughout my life, I was trying to take in the scriptures, but what I was really doing was taking in nothing. Nothing, man. And so I had got to the place where my body, my, my, my mental body, my spiritual body, it was weak, it was malnourished because I wasn't sitting at the table with the king. And then the second part of that is, is I got to have my eyes fixed on Jesus. I can't just go read the Bible for a check mark. I gotta have intentionality about it. I gotta say, Lord, I give you permission to sift me. I give you permission to rebuke me, to correct me, to mend me, to, to do whatever you will, but I'm gonna keep my eyes on you. Because if you take your eyes off of the king for one second, even if you're sitting at the table, he's gonna slide right up. He's going to slide right up and he is going to tell you lies about yourself. He's going to tell you things that are, are, are against the promises of God. The shepherd says, I will lead you all the way through. And here's the reality. Jesus has resurrection power over every stronghold. And he has given us spiritual weapons that are divine and, and powerful and they tear down all of these strongholds and, and they allow us to take every thought that the enemy speaks against us captive and to destroy them. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We have the power. The shepherd says to us, I'll lead you all the way through. I'll take you to where you need to go. And so you might ask yourself, how do we fight the lies of the enemy? How do I deal with the enemy? I know the enemy's at my table. I know he's speaking lies to me. I know he's twisting and deceiving me. He's taking God's word and he is turning it. How do I fight it? 
I'm taking back my table. I'm taking authority over my mind and thoughts. How do we get there? The scriptures tell us that the enemy prowls around seeking someone to devour. We can't stop the enemy from prowling. We can't stop the enemy from looking for an opening. But what we can stop him from doing is setting at our table. How do we do this? We win the battle of our mind by filling your mind with the truth of God's word. So we, we can't sit at the table and have an argument with Satan. Here's what, here's what you need to know. He's not just a killer, he's a stone-cold killer. He knows more scripture than you will ever, 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 ever memorize. Therefore, he knows how to twist it and deceive it better than you can even imagine. So what do we have to do to fight him from setting our table, just like Jesus did. We fight him with the word. We have to understand. We have to know the word. We fight against the enemy with the word of God. When he says you're not enough, you say, I am, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have been redeemed. I have been set free. When he says, do you remember what you did back then? I can't believe you did that to your spouse. I can't believe you did that to your kid. I can't believe you did this, this that, and the other. You know what you say to him? My debt was canceled. All the offenses that stood against me, all the written legal demands were taken away at the cross. When the enemy speaks lies, we fight it with the truth. We fight it by putting the truth of God in our mind. We have to win the battle through God's word. The truth of God's word says we will not be defined by our scars. Our future is defined by the scars of Jesus, church. On the cross, Jesus took my scars upon himself. On the cross, he took your scars upon himself. My new story is, is I am forgiven. I am loved. I don't need to hold my head in shame. I, it is not a matter of will I make it. It's a matter of I have already made it. I have been made new in Christ. Let the enemy sit at your table today. Because the shepherd wants time alone with you. Make no mistake about it. The king of the universe would love nothing more than for you to sit down at his table. There's a good chance many of us here today have been having a conversation with a killer. And we've allowed these lies to be spoken to us for years even. The same lie over and over. I will never beat my addiction. I will never overcome my anger. I, 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 this is just who I am. These conversations bring shame into our lives. Many times because we are fleshly beings still. We confuse shame with godly conviction. 
And this morning, I, I, I want to make sure that we separate these out. Because sometimes, that, that when we sit at the table with the King of Kings, He's going to tell us things that we need to fix in our lives. Make no mistake about it. He's going to tell us things that we're doing that are outside of His will, that are against His Scriptures. But, what you're going to find is the enemy is also going to speak things that sound similar that sound like half-truths where he is twisting and he is deceiving. See, the difference between godly conviction and the shame that the enemy brings to us is godly conviction says, I have done something wrong. I have done something wrong. And the shame that comes from the enemy says, I am something wrong. There's a drastic difference between those two different statements. I have done something wrong, and I am something wrong. We can do things that are sinful, but the Scriptures paint this picture that if we would confess our sins, He is faithful and just, casting our sins as far as the east stretches to the west. While we might fall on our face, that is not our identity. You are not the sin that you suffer with. You are not the present circumstances that you fight against now. So the lie that the enemy is saying to you today is this is who you are. And some of you feel that shame now. Some of the things that we talked about today, you have allowed the shame of your past, you have allowed the shame of your circumstances to begin to push you down, to, to squash you. And I want to say to you today, come to the table. 